0: Craft Beer Radio presents Savor, an American craft beer and food experience, private tasting salon number six, beer and charcuterie, featuring Ro Gunzel of Left Hand Brewing Company and Brian Bukowski of Terrapin Brewing.
1: Okay, I think we're going to get started. We're a couple of minutes late uh, with everybody downstairs. Uh, I think a few people are not everybody's is uh, quite on time this late in the evening. So, but we'll. G- What's that? It is their loss, exactly. So we'll get started. Thanks a lot for coming. This is uh, Saver's third year. Uh, how many are here for the first time? And how many were here last year or, or the year before? Oh, okay, so a lot, of, a lot of newbies, a lot of new people. Good. Good to hear. Uh, this is put on by the Brewers Association. If you don't know, the Brewers Association started in 1978. It's a trade association for small brewers, which is all but two or three of every brewery in the country at this point. Um, they put on the Great American Beer Festival as, as, as well as a lot of other uh, cool events, including this one. So uh, it's my honor to uh, introduce the two people that'll be talking for the rest of the hour. We've brought our uh, three people, I guess. Really, you're going to talk. You're, you're going to have to talk about meat, aren't you? I think so. Uh, meat and beer—what a beautiful combination. Um, we've got. Uh, Spike Pukowski here from uh, Terrapin. Terrapin was founded in 2002, and uh, he's the founder and brewmaster, and uh, two of the beers we're going to have tonight are his creations. And then over here we got Ro Gunzel, Gunzel. Um, who's been with uh, Left Hand for the last six years. Left Hand is in uh, Colorado. They were founded in 1993? 94. That's close. And I uh, have uh, two beers that uh, they're going to present as well, along with a variety of meats, which um, which you're going to tell us all about at some point, I think. At some point. Excellent. Okay, uh, Spike, you're going to go first? No, you're going to go first. You want to go first. Okay.
0: Go. Um, so again, my name is Roe Gunsworth, Left Hand Brewing Company. Head brewer there. We were founded back in 1994 uh, by two ex-Air Force geeks, basically. Um, <laughs> We were approached by the VA about three months ago to do a collaboration presentation. Spike and I have collaborated for the last two years making beers we've made. Uh, first year, we made a beer called Terrorize, which was a nightmare. It was a 57% rye beer. We made a mess of our brew house. It was a third brew on our new brew house. Uh, big pain. We'll never make it again. Second year, last year, we did a beer called Depth Charge, which was a... Uh, we're kind of known for a milk stout. Terrapin does a great coffee stout, uh, coffee imperial stout. So we combined the two. We made a coffee milk stout, uh, which went over pretty well, and uh, when the BA approached us, I started looking around the brewery, and we didn't have any of those beers left, so it's pretty tough to put on a salon without any product to share with you. Called Spike, he didn't have any down at his brewery, and so I got to thinking, uh, and I have a friend, Chef Nathan Andy, out here in Virginia who does meats, and so it's always been my dream for him to take our beers and produce meat with it, so tonight we'll have four uh, different pairings. And we'll just kind of walk through those. Beautiful. I'm talking about Cezanne now.
2: Um, The first beer I guess we're going to start with, um, by the way, I'm Spike, brewmaster with Terrapin Beer Company. Uh, We've been around since 2002, as stated before. Um, The side project series for us are basically beers that we do one-off styles with. So about every two to three months, I'll come out with a different style of beer this happens to be number seven. I think we're up to number 11 now. Um, and this is Maggie's Farmhouse. Um, traditional Farmhouse beer. We've got a little flake, flaked, uh, flaked oats in there. I've got some rye and some Vienna. Um, if you guys are unfamiliar with uh, traditional Farmhouse ales, uh, basically we, they had uh, farmhouse breweries and uh, whatever was in season at the time, whether it be rye or wheat Um, they would use in the beer and produce a farmhouse beer. Um, This beer is produced with uh, Saison Dupont um, yeast. So we fermented this at about 90 degrees, which uh, kind of freaked me out because all my other beers ferment at about 66. So uh, it was an interesting beer to brew. Um, But if you are familiar with farmhouses... um, very earthy. Some can be peppery. I mean, um, there's a lot of different ingredients you can add in a farmhouse. Um, Ours is pretty traditional, um, but you will get that earthy funkiness uh, coming out of the saison. Um, And paired with, I will turn it over to Chef so he can tell you what you're going to eat it with. All right. uh, You got a messafegati. It's a wild boar sausage
3: with pork liver, pine nuts, and it's scented with uh, coriander, white pepper, and... The uh, farmhouse uh, takes the place of the uh, white wine that would traditionally be in it. So it's it's the big one, the fat one. Eat it first, and then try the mustard with it, so.
0: Enjoy. Yeah, beer, beer was incorporated into all the meat that you have on your plate, either in the curing process or directly into the the mixture. Yeah. Pate. So there's two
3: cured meats and there's two smoked meats tonight. So I did cured uh, meat or at the meat for there and smoked meat. So it's like, it's an emulsified sausage. it's got ground pork, ground liver um, bound with the beer, so the the liver and the, the beer act as the binder, so that's what makes the emulsification so it's steamed like how you would uh, steam a pate and then it's chilled completely down and then it's put in a smoker for about 10 hours with no temperature, just smoke. so it takes on a little depth of smoke, depth of flavor that goes with the, the beer as well.
0: It's, it's for the meats that come a little later. But you can enjoy it now, it's pretty spicy. Uh, so the, the pairing that we're going on to now is uh, left hands 400 pound monkey. This is a, a new English style IPA that we came out with, just put it in package about four months ago. It was actually the first brew on our new brew house uh, back in 2008. Uh, so, we've been tweaking the recipe, changing it a little bit. And with the beer, uh, we opted to use these new English varieties, two new hops called Bodicea and Sovereign, which have a very earthy, um, almost white cheese rind fungal element to them, maybe a little bit of a uh, bitter orange peel or uh, orange rind. And then I heard one person describe it as being like rubber bands, which can be a little off putting at first, but I think it really works with the beer. You know, we're going more for that that rustic English element than the big over-the-top citrus, piney, um, sometimes cat urine aspect that you find with uh, American IPAs. And then it's paired with uh it's
3: paired with a bison brisola.
0: Traditionally, uh, brisola is
3: with beef and aged in or uh, cured in red wine and salt. Uh, this time, I took all the flavor components of that go into the 400-pound monkey. So it's got citrus some coriander, uh, heavy on Italian sea salt, and then the 400-pound monkey acts as the curing agent as opposed to red wine. This is the only pairing that I am kind of scared about uh, because I didn't get to taste it. It's the first thing I started with. When we talked the first time with Ro, I was like, I'm going to do this. And three months later, we got to open it the other day, but I didn't have any 400-pound monkey to try it. It's the really thin meat,
0: the, the beef. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah so b- back to the... Just a little bit. Yeah, we're uh, brewers and chefs, so we're not very uh, AV-oriented. We like to work in back rooms, behind the scenes, usually. Sorry, I insulted Spike. Um, so kind of back to how this all started, um, I approached Chef Anda, and he asked for a bunch of our beers. He asked for a bunch of uh, Terrapins beers. We all shipped them off, and he just kind of played around on his own figured out what combinations work and what beers, what flavor profiles and beers might translate well into what he does. Uh, I think it turned out pretty well. I think beer and bison and pork and cured meats really play well with each other Uh, and I think the 400 pound monkey tastes delicious with the uh, brisola kind of cuts that salty element a little bit and heightens the bitterness and that fungal earthy element comes out of the beer and they just kind of it's a nice counter uh, to the meat I'm gonna enjoy another bite So, are there any comments on this pairing? Love it. Excellent. Um, I don't know if it was made clear, but Chef Anda runs Red Apron Butchery, um, and he sells out of Planet Wine down at Kula Restaurant, several farmers markets around the area. Um, but uh, I sell at Planet Wine and Del Rey,
3: and then I sell at the Penn Quarter Farmer's Market, DuPont Farmer's Market, and Glover Park Farmer's Market. So Pen Quarter's on Thursday, DuPont's on Sunday, and Glover Park's on Saturday. How big is your place? It's about an eighth of the size of this room. Uh, so when he said I run Red Apron, I am Red Apron. Like, I am the person that makes it, does everything, slices it, and... So if you go to the Farmer's Market tomorrow at DuPont, you'll probably see me. I'm sorry? Fortunately, I work with a bunch of restaurants, and they've kind of tasted stuff over the years, and they come to me. I don't have to sell it anymore. So, um, But I, hopefully someday I do get a salesperson. You're the first in line. Uh, Planet Wine is attached to the
0: Evening Star Cafe. So... I was, I was fortunate enough to go down today and uh, view the meat locker that all this meat came out of. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And I also saw the new, somewhat new, 1970 Volkswagen van that Red Apron has purchased to travel around to all these meat markets with custom plates that say pork fat. Alright, so moving right along, the uh, next pairing we're gonna go with is a beer called Smoke Jumper. And uh, Nate and I had met back in college through some mutual friends and then kind of fell out of it, contact, and then reacquainted ourselves back in 2007 at a friend's wedding out in Seattle. And we had a great time talking about smoking and smoked meats. And uh, at that time, I was really getting into smoking malt for beer. And so, Smoke Jumper uh, is a beer that I made. Uh, for the first time back in 2006, and I built my smoker based on a design that he had shown me out at his restaurant, Tallulah, uh, based on a, a warm and serve oven from the kitchen industry, and then I used the the electric heating element, uh, which is a little different than how he runs his, to uh, to kind of smolder the the wood, to infuse the the malt with that smokiness. Uh, When I first started making this beer, I was working with a a local barbecue guy out in Longmont who I'd been trading beer with. Uh, Brewers get paid pretty poorly, and so you have to find ways and means to uh, survive, to eat and clothe. You know, most of my clothing is left-hand gear, and uh, most of my food is stuff I trade beer for. But uh, this great guy, Mike Elgin, we actually put his name on the bottle, uh, actually gave me his smoker the first time I made it, and I smoked half the malt on a big trailer-style pit smoker, uh, I chose to do it during the 10 hottest days in Colorado history, I think. So I was standing out in the parking lot. It was 104, and if you hang out around a smoker for too long, it's about 120. So sunburn, singed hair, smoke in the eyes. I had to, th- I had to throw away my clothes. My <laughs> wife would make me take my clothes off and throw them away before I came in the house. Uh, but Mike unfortunately passed away two years ago from melanoma. Uh, too much time standing out at a grill, unfortunately. But uh, a great guy. Left hand is in a old sausage factory in Longmont, Um, so meat and left hand beers go way back. Uh, We purchased it from Mr. Green's uh, 17 years ago, turned it into a a brewery. It just kind of fit nice, sloped floors, water hookups everywhere. Uh, Our old brew house was in the old slaughter room, so the hogs would be brought in and right where our grist case was, uh, which is where the, the malt comes before it's used in the brewing process, was right Above the door that the hogs came in on dispatch, and, were dispatched. and uh, up until getting our new 60 barrel brew house, for about two years we were brewing 24 hours a day, five six days a week. And I swear, sometimes at night you'd be on the brew house and you'd hear the little hogs squealing <laughs> down the halls. But we still have the big doors and the cuts in the door where the tracks would go through for the uh, carcasses to be moved around and processed. Uh, so, Smoke Jumper is also the national beer of the. Uh, the, the official beer of the National Smoke Jumpers Association, which is a, a pretty cool group of individuals. It all started out with a, a bunch of World War II paratroopers that came back from the war and loved jumping out of planes so much into danger that they started jumping into fires, uh, which over my years working with them, I've had the experience of hanging out with a lot of them. They are really cuckoo, uh, very good individuals. But proceeds from the beer actually goes to a scholarship fund for... Children of smoke jumpers that have died in action, uh, which is pretty cool. So this beer, uh, a lot of people have had some of the great smoke beers out there: Alaskan smoked porter, Ochschlankerla, uh, great great beers. If anything, I wanted to take this beer into more of a concept beer. And so instead of that intense bacon element that you would find in a, a German Rauch beer or possibly an Alaskan smoked porter, I wanted more of a campfire, kind of a, a burnt charry element to it. Um, and I think it really comes through in the beer. And it is paired with. So we got a beerwurst here. Um,
3: if you look up the definition for beerwurst, it actually says it's a sausage to drink beer with, but there's really never beer in the sausage. So um, with this, I, I actually make a beerwurst every week and I use the Shanker Law, which Ro actually brought up. But the Eierbach or the Marx? The Eierbach. So. Um, So this one, it's kind of smoked in three ways. It has, it's a pork-based sausage with beef, and then it has all my bacon scraps from a week go into it. So the whole fat content in this sausage is bacon. Um, So that's the first outlet of smoke. And then the second one is using the smoked beer. And then the third is it's smoked over cherry wood for about five to six hours to to finish the cooking process. Um, It's got cardamom, uh, black and yellow mustard seeds, and black pepper, and that's major flavor. It's very subtle. goes nice with the uh, the beer, and it goes killer with the mustard. So, Ro brought up the smokers. Uh, I think over the last six or seven years, I've built a smoker out of anything you could possibly think of. And in the last six or seven years, I've burnt down a garage, trees, freezers. So I've actually gone to a more conventional, like, biome now and use those, so...
0: It was, it was actually the first day that I went to smoke malt for the smoke jumper in my little converted warm-and-serve oven that Nathan called me up and said, uh, you might want to rethink using that setup because I just burnt the uh, siding off the neighbor's house from the restaurant and burnt down the tree. So I continued on. I, I smoked the, the malt before we actually brew with it. And uh, I, I, I love smoking malt. It's a, a ton of fun. It's fun to play around with different grains. So in this warm-and-serve oven, I have perforated sheet pans or hotel pans from a restaurant. And then I have a rack in there, and I can slide the, the sheets in, and I can smoke about 150, 200 pounds of malt at a time in there. Um, little secret, you need a little moisture on the grain if you're going to smoke your own. Uh, it helps the smoke adhere a little bit and not dry out and get all charred. Uh, I've actually, one of the beers that we'll be giving away later on this evening is Fade to Black. That was a foreign export stout that we made and released. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about this, but I snuck a little smoked malt into that one, uh, about 2% of the grist, and I smoked it over, and I never can say it right, p- pimento or pimenton wood, which is the, the same wood that is used in jerk-style cooking mostly. Uh, export stout comes from two distinct areas. You have kind of the Scandinavian style, and then you have more of a Caribbean style. Uh, the owners of left hand kind of shoved it down my throat that they wanted more of the Scandinavian style, and so I flipped them the bird and threw some uh, jerk smoked malt in there. Uh-huh. Uh, and then another beer that I, I smoked was we did a collaboration with Noribro over in Copenhagen, and uh, if anyone's ever shipped 150 pounds of malt overseas, it's, uh, it's pretty damn expensive. <laughs>
2: All right. Last but not least, we're going to do something called the Big Hoppy Monster. Um, For those of you who know us at Terrapin, we do something called the Monster Beer Tour. So we've got about, I think it's up to six that we do. It's all in four packs. Um, And uh, when they changed the law in 2005, uh, you know, we were in Georgia, so we can only brew 6% alcohol beers. And in 2005, they bumped the alcohol content up to 14%. So all of our side project beers are eight and a half and above. This one is an Imperial Red Ale. And um, it's probably about 65 to 70 BUs. Um, Just a really well-balanced Imperial Red Ale. So you will get a lot of hop flavor and hop aroma out of it. But there's so much crystal malt in the beer that it almost gives a sweet flavor uh, because the gravity finish is pretty high. Um, and uh, like I said, this is one of the Monster Beer Tour uh, beers that people really want us to make year-round, but uh, myself being very selfish, I only release it once a year. So, um, And this is paired with... All right,
3: this is paired with Andouja. Um, it's a Calabrian-style, uh, incredibly spicy uh, sausage. Traditionally, uh, most sausages or uh, salamis have a 70-30 fat ratio. This is 50-50. It's 100% pork belly. It's ground three times, and the only three ingredients are chili puree, pork belly, and chili powder. Um, I took the Big Hoppy Monster. I took a six-pack, reduced it down by half, and mixed the chili puree in with that, and then that into the ground pork belly it's cured for 10 days and it's uh, a perfectly spreadable salami and it's uh, served on a uh, salami bread which is made with pepperoni that was made with left hands fade to black beer so if any sausage i had got stuck eating for the rest of my life it would be this one without a doubt
0: Uh, just tasting it now for the first time I tried the uh, sausage earlier today raw without the bread and it was a little intense but uh, I, th- I think the beauty is there's, there's enough sweetness in the Big Hoppy Monster all that crystal malt really comes out at the end and those flavors just kind of play off each other and you have this nice lingering spiciness and you take a sip of the beer and that sweetness comes on then the bitterness and it just swirls perfectly and uh, works really damn well I think like most everything else
2: Oh, I'm supposed to talk. I don't know. I'm eating. I'm eating. Um, any questions about any of the Terrapin beers that you guys might want to talk about? Hey. Um, our artwork, yeah. Um, if you guys have ever been to our website, um, we've got a great artist. Uh, his name is Richard Biffle and I uh, actually met him. ...out at Bonnaroo, if you guys are familiar with a big music festival in Manchester, Tennessee... ...which I'll be attending next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Richard did a lot of artwork for the Grateful Dead. um, And uh, if you guys think that we're from Maryland because we're Terrapin Beer Company... ...that is false. We are not from Maryland. Terrapin Beer Company actually comes from Terrapin Station, which is a Grateful Dead album. And our flagship beer, Rye Pale Ale... Um, you can actually see a very cool little turtle playing a banjo with Jerry Garcia glasses on. So, yeah, we take it from that. But um, we've, like I said, we've been around since 2002. Um, it's pretty crazy because we, uh, we started in 2002 and we, we did what was called contract brewing. My business partner and I didn't have enough capital to build our own brewery. Uh, We did a business plan back in 98, and uh, we were looking for funding. And if you guys remember, about 98, 99, if you weren't a dot-comer looking for 30 or $40 million or, you know, you didn't have a computer in your basement, you weren't weren't raising a lot of capital uh, for brick-and-mortar buildings. Um, So what we did, we finally pulled our money together, and we started Seraph and Beer Company, and we started brewing from a a brewery in uh, Atlanta called Dogwood Brewing Company. And our first product was rye pale ale in 2002. And uh, six months after we released that product, uh, we won best pale ale in the country at the Great American Beer Festival. And um, it's kind of flattering because it's so neat to see so many rye beers out there right now. And uh, I think we were one of the pioneers to actually brew uh, beer with rye. I'm sure they were. They were probably a couple before us, but um, it's just interesting to see how many rye beers are out there. Um, And for us, we like to use a lot of different ingredients. Uh, We use, um, like Ro explained earlier, when we did our uh, depth charge beer, the the coffee um, milk stout. Uh, We use a coffee from Jittery Joe's, which is a local coffee roaster in Athens. Um, our Sunray wheat beer our German Hefeweizen is also used with uh, a local uh, company called Savannah Bee Company so we put a little bit of honey in our uh, Hefeweizen Um, and we just like to use unique ingredients in all of our or most of our beers, our special beers Um, so that's it I got off on a little tangent but any other questions (laughs) that's not even artwork, we're talking beer now so yeah Uh, yeah, actually, yes. We did uh, something. We did uh, uh, a beer called Pumpkin Fest. And, um, you know, we really haven't had a fall seasonal beer. And um, a lot of people do pumpkin beers for the fall season. And a lot of breweries do, you know, Oktoberfest or Fest beers. So I'm like, well, being me and being the wacky brewer that I am, well, why don't we combine the two styles? So I did something called Pumpkin Fest. So it's a traditional uh, German Oktoberfest lager brewed with pumpkin spices, and uh, we're actually going to release that again this year, but it will be in six packs. So uh, it's going to be our fall seasonal. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the question was. Um, Basically, do I pilot brew before I come out with a beer? And the answer is no. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, so if I brew a beer at the brewery, it takes about six hours from start to finish. If I brew a home-brewed batch, it probably takes about eight hours. So with all of our side project beers, it's just one and go. But the thing is, it's like... When I brew a side project beer, I always make notes, you know, next time, you know, use a little less chocolate more malt, malt or a little more chocolate malt or back off on the IBUs or add this or that. But you know, for me it's like if I can't brew a beer by now I shouldn't be in the business. So and don't get me wrong, if if it's an ingredient that I've never used before, I'll probably throw it in a cask beer first, because it's only ten point eight gallons. So if I'm going to use like I don't know juniper berries or something, I'll probably throw it in there first and see what it's going to do to the beer. Um, so yeah, but all of our side project beers because they're they're only released once, I just kind of put pen to paper and uh, and brew the beer and go with it. So yeah. Uh, distribution wise, uh, we are in Athens, Georgia. So all of Georgia, uh, we do parts of Florida. Uh, parts of Alabama. We just got into Philly and Jersey. We're in Pittsburgh. Um, Dustin.
1: North yep. South
2: Carolina. Yep, North Virginia. and South Carolina. Yep. Snake. Oh yes, Tennessee. That fine Virginia. state of, of Tennessee and Virginia. I don't know. I brew beer, man. Those, those those guys can answer all those questions. So yeah, very small southeast, and uh, I think we'll probably hold hold steady for a little bit. I mean. Um, you know, craft brewing is a great movement right now. I mean, I don't really see, you know, the big breweries kind of pairing with charcuterie or charcuterie. I don't even know how to say the word because it's so delicious. <laughs> I, uh, but it's interesting to see how how much people are looking into farm-to-table foods and, you know, handcrafted beer and... Um, you know, fresh meats. It's just really nice to see people finally coming back to real food. And um, it's interesting to see, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, Supersize Me and all this other stuff, about how our farming has changed over the years. And it's just really nice. I mean, we live in a small community of Athens, Georgia, and it's just kind of nice that we can go to farmers markets and, you know, there's actually co ops where you can go out and you can actually buy real vegetables instead of something that's you know, coming processed to a grocery store in a package. So uh, I think the movement's there, um, and I just hope it doesn't take 20 years to catch on, and, you know, you guys in this room are part of that movement. So it's really nice to see. Yeah? How often you say you try different ingredients or I don't fail. <laughs> no, I... No, no, it's interesting because I think brewing beer, bottom line, when you brew beer, you have to be clean, okay? If you brew a beer that's infected, no one's going to drink it. But if it's clean and if it's palatable, I think, (laughs) yeah, but they're crazy. (laughs) But I I think brewing beer, as long as you have sanitation down, somebody out there is going to like it because I've only got this palate and I don't know how you taste, you know, I mean. No, not not. No, I don't think the only time that I ever brewed an awful beer is that I had I had the opportunity of using a different malt because it was just easier for me to get, and um, I'll never do that again. I, I just it was a different company not that they were a bad company but my whole profile of my beer changed and um yeah we actually pulled it so i don't know how many barrels we brewed maybe 100 at this time we were only about 2 years old and uh i just had the opportunity of getting a different style of malt it was a pale ale malt and the beer just didn't taste right so we put it out and then we were like we c- we can't do that and so we had to pull it all back had in to but what's that you had to trash uh, yeah, we called it. We, we we called it. You know, I mean, and, and stuff like that happens. I mean, knock on wood, I mean, we really don't have a lot of beer, bad beer out in the market. So, I mean, I taste everything that comes off the line or comes off kegs and stuff like that. So I know it leaves the brewery, you know, and it, and it's, it's always good. But, you know, when it travels across the country or it, it sits on a shelf somewhere or if people – you know, if a package store has a big storefront window that's all bright and light, and, you know, and they're and they're putting your beer right in a window that gets, you know, eight hours of sun a day, and somebody picks up the beer and, you know, so it, it's tough. I mean, you can brew the best beer in the world, but if it's not handled right, you know, you just never know. So. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, for you, okay, here's a nice pretty package, okay? So you go out and go, wow, that's a really cool pretty package. But if the beer doesn't taste good, are you going to pick it up again? I mean, for us, I think our, is, our packaging is dynamite, and it's an impulse buy. So if you walk by and go, wow, that's a cool little banjo playing turtle, I'm going to pick that up. But if the beer sucks, you ain't coming back for the pretty package. You know, you're coming back for the liquid. So... You want to put that liquid in the bottle, and you know ten years ago, you know when the craft revolution was was huge as it is again, you know we saw that big shakeout um, because every Tom Dick and Harry on the street that had a garage with a home brewing system was brewing beer, but how far did it travel or how far you know how good was the product so I think now, with all the breweries you know cream cream rises at to the top, so i mean you 've got I mean, you look out there tonight, I haven't had a bad beer out there this evening. You know, that the beers out there are dynamite. You know, when I was going to the GABF 10 years ago, there were some bad beers out there. But you can't do that now. I mean, there's just, there's just no way. You can't survive in this environment because the craft brewing industry is, the movement is so strong that I'm going to pay eight ninety nine dollars for a beer that tastes like that? No, you're not. So you've got to be on the top of your game all the time, brewing the best beer you possibly can. Yeah. Like the smoke jumper and some of your the beers you sell in bigger bottles, some of the more special series that you produce. What what's the strategy for coming out here?
0: For for, for me personally to come like out here or for Left Hand to be have a presence out here on the East Coast. <laughs>
2: well, if you have a personal philosophy, that's fantastic. But in terms of Left Hand strategy for bringing the beers distribution coming out here, because I think your beers are very well received. In
0: this area. Well, I I I think Spike hit it earlier in that I'm a brewer. My passion is making beer, and I don't delve too much into the marketing. So kind of uncomfortable with your question. Um, (laughs) Left Hand is available in 27 states. Right now in 11 countries. Uh, We ship beer to Australia. We ship beer to Italy. Sweden is a huge market for us. Um, We go where the beer drinkers are. I am a native from Lincoln, Nebraska. A lot of people out in Boulder County kind of scoff at that and laugh at me because I love wearing red. Um, it's all buff county out there, um, but I moved to Colorado because there's beer culture there, and because we have a, a large percentage of craft brewers and beer drinkers. I think the same goes for the DC area. Um, there are these little pockets on the East Coast where you have incredible beer culture. Uh, one of my pleasures was to go down to, to Georgia and brew a spike last summer. Um, And just seeing that market down there was so incredible. We've had craft beer in Colorado for so long that I think people kind of, you know, they're kind of numb to it and they're not as passionate about it. But with Georgia recently popping the cap, people were thirsty for it, literally. And it was just great to go in all these great beer bars down there. uh, uh, brick Brickstore and uh, Leon's and Trapeze. And, I mean, all these people are so passionate about it. Uh, Five Points Bottle Shop. Best bottle shop I've been to in a long time. Incredible. The owner, Sachin, downstairs right now. You know, people that are passionate about beer. So, in, in a way to answer your question, we, we go to where people drink beer. Um, we sell beer in Nebraska. We're probably going to pull out of Nebraska because people don't drink craft beer in Nebraska. They drink Bud Light. Um, those Cornfed okay, Boys, jumper jumpers is a beer that we only release two every two years, um, and so you can find it in more reputable bottle shops down in Northern Virginia, maybe not in DC. Um, standing back here behind Spike earlier, it, it kind of touched on you know why we're here and doing a collaboration uh, talk is getting people that are passionate and like-minded together, and, and you know kind of fueling each other and egging each other on, and I. Hope that happened with uh, Chef Anda, and you know, over the years Spike and I have had this push and shove or weird relationship. We're kind of opposite spectrums on some things. Now he's a big deadhead, and you know, he makes me listen to what was the the music you were playing when we went down to brew? Uh, Maiden, Iron Maiden. You know, over my over my head. Uh, so it's it's you know, people that are passionate and have like minds, but. Standing back here was the most pleasurable five minutes I've had, standing behind Spike. Uh, one, because he was in the limelight, but two, because there's air conditioning back here. And for me, collaborations over the years, first year that, that Spike came out to brew with us, we just installed our new brew house, and it was 100 degrees, it was 120 degrees on the brewing platform, uh, just miserable. I mean, we went home and just passed out. Well, actually, we stayed up till four, drank schnapps. Um, hot. And then I go down there last summer to brew with them, and it's 104, and Spike insists that you wear pants in his brewery. Oh, horrible. You know, Georgia in July, is just awful. And then I come here to do this collaboration, and, uh, you know, being from Colorado, there's, a re- there's another reason why I moved from Nebraska out to Colorado. Um, no humidity, or very little humidity, and, and cool nights. Uh, and then I come out to D.C., and it's 91, and you know, whatever the humidity is, it's just terrible. So, uh, I will let Chef Anda say some closing words and I'm going to go back and stay by the uh, air conditioner if you have a question
3: um, at least in Virginia I don't know how the other states are but in Virginia, in all the specialty shops and in the bars that happen to serve uh, good craft beers your uh, milk stout is very popular so I'm wondering if the same thing holds true in other states um, or if that's just you know, specific to Virginia and how do you feel about that Because Uh, it's it's commonly always a Milk Stout. And I'm always wondering, can we see something else from left hand?
0: I'm just recently getting into numbers and watching projections and and sales growth. And uh, it's been amazing over the last two years to watch what Milk Stout's done. Uh, We were fortunate that we won back-to-back gold medals at the World Beer Cup. Uh, Not last year, we kind of struck out, but the the previous two World Beer Cups, back-to-back golds. It's a phenomenal beer. And uh, when we originally started out, Sawtooth was our flagship you know, incredible beer in its own right, but it's a an ESB. I'm just proud to say that you know, within the next couple of weeks, Left Hand is going to have a sweet stout as our flagship. You know, it's not a pale ale, it's not a American light lager, it's a sweet stout, this obscure, strange style. So we really go after it with that beer. Um, and we also just recently started nitrogenating, which philosophically I don't agree with. Um, I'm kind of an old school German influenced brewer that you don't put crap in beer. You know. Lactose included, which it's tough for me to make milk stout. But uh, we we bought this cool device, and I I just think it's fun to say. uh, It's a hydrophobic membrane exchanger. So we can pass the beer through one side, and then this hydrophobic membrane, water-fearing membrane, we push nitrogen through, and it displaces CO2 out the other side, and we nitrogenate. So as far as I know, we're one of the few breweries that has actually incorporated uh, nitrogenation into a production process, uh, aside from the big guys that have proprietary techniques, and it's very difficult to learn from them how to do it. So, uh, again, any other questions? No? And? Uh,
3: Alright, so Spike brought up uh, when he was speaking about farm-to-table and going to farmer's markets and, and actually knowing everything that you're putting into your product, and my whole operation is that. Like, I'd only work with people I can talk to on the phone or go into their pastures and see everything. So uh, Red Apron is 100% sustainable, 100% local, and uh, I want to stay the way I do things because I can see something from start to finish. Uh, I can play with anything anymore. And it's fun to to do a project like this with the brewers because traditionally charcuterie is wine-based um, do everything with wine um, and to incorporate uh different flavors that you get out of beers or or whatever it was really fun, like playing with uh Brasola was i mean that, i don 't get scared about making stuff anymore because you know over years you 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 start to know ratios you know time everything but that that was just weird curing something with beer as opposed to wine, color, texture, whatever, to come out of it. And it ended up working, so I'm happy about that. But uh, yeah, I I mean, that's pretty much all I got to say. Uh, I work, I guess, every day of the week, and so it was nice to come out and actually taste everything and taste good beers to go with it, so it was fun. Any questions? Good.
0: All right, now as a, a special treat for all of you that paid and came late at night to listen to all of us ramble on about our passions and, you know, what we love in life, uh, we have two gift bags that two hopefully lucky individuals are going to be leaving here with. Um, included in the gift bag is left-hands fade to black. This is our foreign export stout that we put out as uh, winter seasonal. So there's a six-pack of that. There is a bottle of Captain Cronkle. Uh, from Terrapin, this is a uh, black India pale ale. And then, so you can do this and replicate this at home and maybe uh, hopefully turn some of your friends onto craft beer and charcuterie, and the whole idea of pairing food with beer. Um, there's a generous chunk of pepperoni from Red Apron that was made with uh, to black. Uh, absolutely delicious. So, if Spike, you don't mind, I'm going to ask... One question, and whoever gets it right will walk out with one bag. And then, if you would come up with another question
2: okay. to quiz them on, I,
0: I have swords. And I was this is same. Yeah, yeah, we could <laughs> pissing contest too. Yeah, and swords would be good for DC. Um, well, so we we kind of talked about old, old beer techniques, and there's a uh, very old-standing consumer protection law that's still on the books. Uh, Somewhat on the books anymore, but it was uh, originated in Bavaria, and so someone needs to give me properly say it, give me the date, and give me who established it and for extra credit tell you tell me my uh, connection to that close yes heights. Anyone? Anyone? I don't know. We, we got Ryan High vote right? I should have asked that, too. That's a, a good answer. But what I'd really like to know is who instituted it and what year. Because it's a very... No, not the Germans. Oh, you're out of the running now. The Bavarian are proud. Close.
3: Close.
0: Old brewery. Oh, I'm taking some pepperoni. The Ryan Heiske was 15, We're, <laughs> We're bookending it. And uh, No. Uh, so All right. Ryan Heiske vote. Whose mandate was it, and in what year did that mandate come down? 1516. There we go. All right, and it's du- Duke Wilhelm IV was the uh, guy who instituted so yes. W- Wilhelm. Yes, yeah. But, and and the, the Bavarians actually, when they were incorporated in the German Federation, insisted that Germany as a, a whole followed their little beer law. That's how tied they are. I actually there's a lot of laws, but my my connection is I used to work for a descendant of Duke Wilhelm IV.
2: All right, I don't know what the hell that was all about. Um, Can anybody tell me who the lead singer of Iron Maiden is?
0: All right, this is kind of digressed into bad territory at this point, but I, I just want to thank all of you for coming out and listening to us. Hopefully, you will take this home with you and start doing this at
1: home. And, okay. yeah. Give it up for Spike and Row and everybody. Thanks a lot for coming. I think we got, what, 15 minutes more downstairs? Is that right? So,
2: Thank
0: you for listening to Craft Beer Radio's 2010 coverage of Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. To learn more about Savor, please go to savercraftbeer.com. To listen to more salons, interviews, and other content from Craft Beer Radio,
2: please go to craftbeerradio.com. You can contact us on Twitter at, at craftbeerradio or via email at beer at craftbeerradio.com.